Hi, this is Nick Spencer, and these guys, right? You're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, still not canceled. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962 last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned. The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I am Mischievous Marchinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for a special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and today we're going to be rounding up our Patreon reviews of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 8 through number 10, also known as, for those who, you know, these numbering things matter for, Legacy Numbers 809 through 811, also known as The Black Cat and Thief Guild Story from Nick Spencer and Humberto Ramos. Are they also known as anything else, Dan? Or are we, we good? I think they probably a title for this story, but I'm not, I don't know off the top of my head. That's fine. Anyway, so we originally recorded these conversations back when the issues were first released for our Patreon audience. Awesome. So now you guys all get to tune in. it. So remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on our show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content like these reviews when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and additional episodes that we never released publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Speaking of our team, Dan, let's uh, extend a huge special thank you to our incredibly generous new uh, patron. That is Robert Barber. Thank you so much, Robert. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. This episode is from you. Now, let's get straight into the action. No more dawdling. We hope you enjoyed this review of Amazing Spider-Man number eight. What's new? So we're, we're talking what? Amazing Spider-Man number eight slash Legacy 809 here? We are. We are. I think I wrote somewhere that it was 810 and had to correct myself. I'm like, I don't even know where we are at right now. Just remember, it's always one more <laughs> with the Legacy numbering right now. Yeah, that, that's what I got to remember. They just, had the, they just had the screw you that little bit. You know, they're, they're bound to do some strange numbering thing just to line it up. Like, it's got to be eating a, a hole in them, or they're thinking we can do double 100 issues because it's 100 and then it's a, a 900. Oh, God. They're going to somehow line this up so we're paying $10 two weeks in a row or whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the issue 27A, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about this issue, Mark. This issue, I don't know if I can speak for you, but uh, – Boy, this is a lot of setup for one issue. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, I know in the first arc, we weren't always like super duper wild about some of those issues. So I think overall, we kind of saw where they were going. To me, this is the first major misstep of of the Nick Spencer era on Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, it's not even that I think it's necessarily a bad comic, but I'm completely disinterested by it and and kind of where they're going and and just in terms of like who they're bringing into the story. It, it's it's you know this. These are the kinds of subplots. I mean, and obviously it's early. It's the first part, so I could be convinced otherwise. But on first blush, it's this is these this is these are not the kinds of stories and the characters and subplots that really have drawn me to Spider-Man over the years. So um, I, I just want to kind of lay that out there at the start. Probably not going to be the most effusive review, but uh, you know we'll talk about it and try and be constructive about it, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is like you know you're speaking specifically to. The Avengers, you know, being a big part of this and uh, like the Thieves Guild, which I I don't think has ever been a part of Spider-Man comics. We got a bit of the Assassin's Guild, which I guess like the leader of the Thieves Guild became the leader of the Assassin's Guild. And that character, Kandra, showed up in the pages of Scarlet Spider back in the day. Mark, do you remember this like... Wolverine, Scarlet Spider team up. Yeah, vaguely, um, but yeah, I mean that's. I, I I gotta be honest. I mean, just putting this out there, Dan. I mean, you know, I certainly like me some like Daredevil and and, and comics like that. But you know, when we start getting into things like thieves and assassin guilds and the hand and all that in a spider-man comic it's just not what i read this for you know i'm 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 into the more street level stuff i mean i guess i guess thieves are street level but i I, like i mean like can we just get right into this i mean like this comic itself it's like the first it's like what six seven pages of this opening comic we have this beautiful uh umberto ramos splash page of spider-man and then we cut over to this scene in a nightclub with someone trying, you know, with this guy making, trying to make money off of what turns out to be a member of the Thieves Guild. And like the scene just drones on and on. It's like it's way too long and, and, and unnecessary, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's trying to set up some menace. Uh, let's just talk about the Thieves Guild's arc in this story in its entirety, right? Like we set up this kind of grounded menace for six pages or however many pages it is. Where, you know, you're like, okay, they're this kind of group of thieves that are, you know, getting some kind of tithing with the fountain. And I'm not necessarily sure that I know how the fountain works. Maybe there's some magical properties to it. It seems to be this kind of dropping money into this waterway that (laughs) is going to somehow, you know, come back to the Thieves Guild. Okay, you know, I'll follow something that seems like kind of grounded like that. But then ultimately the payoff for all of this is some really like far-fetched, high-strung thing that I don't like buy into as a grounded threat. Like literally stealing every piece of item off of people's bodies without really any visible appearance of these characters. And so it's like, I guess he felt like he needed to give them a visual appearance in the first six pages. But to me, I would much rather have the the opening be mysterious and kind of like, you know, arcane. And then the latter part where they're pulling off whatever this heist is, because that's the thing that I'm buying into is, am I interested in finding out where all these items went and how they, you know, did this and what the threat they're being, but right, the second part I can't connect to because I didn't see it physically happen. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that is that is cr- flaw number one. But I mean, just to just to go back again in terms of like 
the the opening of this comic because I mean like you you, you know how I am Dan I mean I I kind of get obsessed over what I what I view as 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 good efficient storytelling and you know I just couldn't help but think in this opening segment like at least three times as I'm reading this I was like and where Spider Man and where Spider Man and where like you know like I, I it's not that I need Spider Man on every page of a Spider Man comic but like it just it just felt so disconnected from the 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 titular character of who we're reading about and and that that to me is is a major narrative flaw like you shouldn't you shouldn't be straying that far away for that long from from the thesis of what you're writing about and 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 like that, I mean to me that's the storytelling 101 and I think it really suffered here you know like like you said they're trying to set something up here but you, you, we were talking offline before we started here. You, you had mentioned that you read some, some about the the thieves guild in, in a gambit comic. I've never read a gambit comic, so, so more power to you, Dan. <laughs> but, but you know, like, like I, like I feel like if if you really need this much setup to introduce these characters into a Spider-Man comic, maybe you shouldn't be writing about them because I feel like there are new Spider-Man villains that are introduced far more efficiently. And quickly than what we did with the Thieves Guild here. I mean, think of the Hobgoblin reveal in Amazing Spider-Man 238. I know that's the gold ba- the gold standard, but come on, like you 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 don't need six or seven pages of just kind of monotonous like aha moments <laughs> involving some like guy who's like just trying to crush it on the financial level. <laughs> Right, and what little we get of Spider-Man here is we get, you know, Peter, you know, with MJ, and that's a nice little scene, but it's not about Peter in any way, you know, like, it's mostly about MJ's employment and repeating the same beat with Peter, which is he's unemployed, and we're making no real progression with that story, you know, is he actually looking for employment? Is he considering the work offered by Connors? I i don't really know. Um, as As wonderful as it was to see you know, the kind of beautiful Humberto Ramos rendition of MJ's kind of spread of former careers. You know, it's nice to see these things reflected in a comic, and it's nice to see some banter between them that's not them making out. So for once, I can kind of start to believe them as a couple, even if I still don't really believe that. I know that sounds strange, like I should believe Peter and MJ as a couple, but I think it's still being undermined by what to me seems very cursory, you know, uh, uh, work on why they reunified because even here she seems to cont- treat him with some kind of contempt you know like that he's so childish i don't i don't know if she finds that endearing yeah well i was just about to say dan i mean like as 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 nice it was to see kind of a more human interaction between the two and not just them uh you know swapping spit I felt kind of cheated by the fact that we're defaulting back to this, and this is something that I certainly criticized plenty during the Dan Slot run, this, like, you know, Peter's a man-child uh, theme, you know? Like, oh, he he likes Fruity Pebbles and, you know, on his, on his desserts and eats cereal as meals. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if we truly want to believe that these two characters are evolving and, and that this relationship is being brought to a new level here in in this storyline. I mean, why are we kind of defaulting back to these old tropes about Peter never getting his crap together and always acting like he's a 14-year-old boy? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, like I, I want to move past this. I mean, like, there are other ways to demonstrate that Peter can't 
always balance the life of Spider-Man and, and Peter Parker without defaulting to, you know, he likes childish things and hasn't matured beyond being in junior high school. Well, especially considering that we get a bit with Mary Jane where it suggests that she's looking to settle down, right? Like she is looking for something more regular than these kind of crazy jobs that she's had, you know, this kind of freelance mindset and working with superheroes and stuff. And it's automatically – it cuts against everything you're, you're trying to invest in, you know? Like she's already back with another kind of superhero whose life is always in turmoil. And, you know, he he's also someone that she seems to consider as, like you said, a man-child. So, like, to me, all of this evidence is kind of conflicting. I'm not sure what to do with it. Uh, you know, yeah, like you said, it, it's something we complained about during the Dan Slott run. So maybe it's no surprise that Dan Slott shows up in this scene. <laughs> right during the it's during the smorgasbord. I missed this, Dan. Where so you 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 see, you have spotted it. So so point it out for us. Yeah, and the big first spread of the scene, if you look, you can see like this little you know Humberto Ramos drawing of Dan Slott with a Fantastic Four logo on his shirt. Obviously, a nod to him writing that book. Absolutely. Uh, now I need to go back and double check. I can't. I, I can't believe I missed it. Uh. <laughs> There's also another character that looks a lot like Humberto Ramos, but I can't for sure claim that it's him. It, there's no. It's not as distinct. You know, I don't think Humberto Ramos is as distinct looking as Dan Slott is. And the Fantastic Four shirt is like a clear giveaway. So. I mean, this also dovetails with, and we could talk about one of the other characters talking to MJ in a second, but I mean, just before that, obviously we, we get this um, call in from Tony Stark. And again, like, it's like, it's it's these themes that like, I I, I feel like I, I would love to see Marvel kind of evolve from a little bit. I'm not saying to, to ignore completely, but you know, we got Tony is kind of like, he's calling Spider-Man because he needs his help. But, like, can't help but just kind of cut him down to size during the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he, he's, you know, well, what are, you know, what are your employment, you know, what, 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 are, what do you need an agent for? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this, like, well, why are you calling this guy then if you think he's such a, he's such a screw up? You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like what's the point here? You know, do you want Spider-Man or not? <laughs> you know, and the, the other bit we get with Spider-Man, which we'll come back to, I guess, in a minute, is like the opening of this story opens with him like falling you know, I, I, you know, I guess we don't necessarily know that he's falling, but you can probably tell from the cover of the book. And, like, I know we haven't seen it in decades, but, like, there's not a lot of drama to be, like, wrung from Spider-Man falling without his web shooters. No, no, definitely not. I mean, I, 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 I again, I, I, I wasn't even really picking up that there was any real mortal threat there. It was just kind of a, a cool splash page put together by Ramos, in my opinion. Yeah, I like. Although I, do, I will say, I liked Victor Olazaba's inks on that page, and the way he kind of, um, like, you know, Ramos's stuff is so expressive. But like, some inkers have a tendency to kind of like downplay it, and I, I feel like here Olazaba was really leaning into it. I like it's on the cover too. This kind of like expressive look of his mask being like kind of pulled off of his head by the air pressure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I like that little flare on, on the on the opening page there. Right. So are, are are you personally excited to see Spider-Man interacting with the Avengers again? I mean, you know, we have in the five-ish years that we've been doing this, Dan, five-plus five years. I mean, you know, we have talked about Spider-Man and the Avengers many times over. 
Uh, you know I'm generally not the hugest fan of it. What do we think about it here? I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll be curious to see what scale this story takes. I mean, the introduction of the black cat later in the book suggests maybe it'll be a much smaller scale thing than, than ultimately what we find. Maybe it'll be the two of them taking on the Thieves Guild in some way. I just feel like we got our, you know, like, big-time opening story you know, in the first issue of this run where he and the Avengers fight and he kind of is the one to save them all. And we got, you know, we just finished an era where Spider-Man was like, you know, and Peter Parker were funding the Avengers in the Avengers book by Mark Wade. So I feel like I've gotten, kind of gotten my fix in regards to Spider-Man and the Avengers. I'm not really dying to see it. I mean, I liked a lot of the renditions of the Avengers here. Like, I liked the Ghost Rider looked really nice and all that stuff. I just don't know why it had to go so large scale um, and then ultimately end so small scale with its web shooters being gone. Like, it seems like such a... so disparate in... in, in uh, I don't know. I just, I'm having a hard time really understanding the scope of this threat. Maybe the Avengers will be interesting. It's not something I look forward to in Spider-Man comics, typically. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So before we move past completely the MJ scene, let's talk a little bit about this this off-panel voice. It, it, it's interesting uh, not to talk about the sausage making here, but I'm looking at your notes here, Dan, and i got to be honest. First thing that came to my mind was the, the, the shush. I thought that too, except that the lettering isn't the same as they use for the shush character. Right, I guess so, although the shush could be maybe manifesting as... Someone familiar, maybe? It's very it's very true. It's very true. But it has been consistent that he has, like, you know, it's like the Thor characters that have the kind of unique lettering. Like, it's entirely possible that the Shush character is masquerading as someone else, right? Didn't the Shush character... Well, I guess he didn't really masquerade as the Beatle in issue one. He just kind of took over Mysterio's perception of that. So it's entirely possible... That it's the Shush character. But I was thinking that it was Ned Leeds. I mean, you know, Ned Leeds is kind of like one of these Chekhovian guns still floating around out there, right? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about Ned Leeds after all these years still mattering, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I thought that is because the writing itself suggests that, like, it's an old-time friend of MJ and Pete's who knows that Peter is Spider-Man. And I don't necessarily know that Ned Leeds knows Peter is Spider-Man, but I'd have to think after, like, all of his apparent dealings with, like, the Hobgoblin and all this stuff and maybe being dead and brought back as part of the clone conspiracy that there was some kind of knowledge imparted on him. I mean, time will tell, but that was my guess in that he is still floating around out there and, like, it is an interesting angle to go down. But yeah, shush. Like I'm, I'm more hopeful that it's shush because, to me, that means he's finally interacting with Peter's world in a way that might be significant, and I'm eager for that character yeah. to kind of come into this, into the limelight in a real way. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking in terms of the logic of it. It's like, I mean, we've been getting these teases of this character now um, for the last few months, and at some point we have to kind of move him closer into Peter's world, certainly more than just like kind of him tearing apart D-list villains like he did with the, you know, um, with, um, what's his name in a couple issues ago? Oh, Robot Master. 
Robot Master, thank you. I mean, he 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 killed him. <laughs> as much as you can kill Robot Master. Yeah, I mean, I I I kind of liked the idea of him not threatening MJ, but like, I mean, I don't know. I got the view. My sense from the panel was like MJ was more confused by the voice than recognize then recognize the voice so that's why i'm thinking maybe this this is something shush related that's entirely possible i mean it is an it is kind of a vague imagery right she's just kind of like looking back over her shoulder with her eyes as though she just kind of heard something so right we'll see maybe we'll start the next issue off with like an asm 300 thing with her like cowering as someone stands <laughs> over her you know you know you, 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 you never know so, of course, the other big development in this issue is the return of Black Cat, but <laughs> kind of confused which which Black Cat this is. Is this the Black Cat that, that came that, you know, where things seem to be somewhat resolved with Peter at the end of, uh, or excuse me, Spider-Man at the end of uh, Venom Inc.? Or is this the Black Cat that still had an axe to grind with Spider-Man pre-Venom Inc.? Seems to indicate the latter but I don't understand why it's not the former. <laughs> She's also in her old costume again, rather than the one that Humberto Ramos himself designed. The you know the cat right. eye shoulder costume, which is also curious to me. I mean, maybe when she left her kind of gang leadership behind, she decided to go back to her old more friendly costume i don't know if that's the way it was in, she's going to interpret it i'm guessing time will tell it just seems like an odd pivot and it makes me worry that we're going to get like some kind of storytelling that's equivalent to what was done with the lizard where it's like well i didn't really seem to like the way the lizard was going so i'll just forget all that happened and reset him back to as you know how we know him to be you know i hope this nick spencer seems so aware of continuity in all the instances except for that lizard moment you know i'm I'm wondering if this black cat thing is going to be similar to that a a weird lapse or a hand wavy thing but black cat was far more recent than the developments with the lizard yeah i I mean enough for nothing i i I kind of felt like you know i i was never a huge fan of where stuff with the black cat was taken but I, I did appreciate that that bow was kind of tied up towards the end there. Um, so to kind of backtrack on that to me is more frustrating than anything else because I don't know. This is this is a dynamic that doesn't really work for me. I mean, like I, I, it's not that I want Spider-Man and Black Cat dating again either. But like I, you know, like I kind of like the idea of her as a femme fatale. You know, she's she's the woman that's bad for Spider-Man, but. You know, there's still just that kernel of good that makes you maybe kind of root for the two characters, but you know that it's just going to end up terribly. But like, you know, her just kind of, you know, coming out guns a blazing and and being quite the hostile antagonist, it, it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be a natural evolution, especially since we did tie that up and 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 kind of put an end to it. So I don't. I don't even see, like at least with the lizard i can see why being like ah you know what let's maybe kind of go back to an, another status quo because this whole thing with where the lizard was brought was really kind of confusing and 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 hard to really wrap your head around i mean black cat i feel like we were able to wrap our heads around it so why are we going back you know <laughs> yeah and it's funny because the the preview for the cover for the next issue 
is them like fighting in like a fiery, you know, it looks like a fiery rooftop. And isn't that literally what we just got in volume three? Like they fight in a building that's on fire. You know, it's like, are we, are we literally going back to that exact moment? And this is a perfect time to bring Black Cat back in with Peter getting back with MJ. Like, why not re-inject her back in as a, you know, relationship foil? You know, I'm playing the new Spider-Man game and they just added this new DLC for the heist and it brings Black Cat in. Peter's just gotten back with MJ in that too. And then suddenly Black Cat shows up as like a sort of romantic interest and there's like baby daddy issues going on like where she said she has a kid and Peter's worried about whether or not the kid is his and there I think there's opportunity if you're going to bring Black Cat back right in the midst of reconnecting Peter and MJ why not go down that route a little bit I you know I don't know we'll see ultimately where it goes but it it didn't it had me more confused than excited to see where it goes right Absolutely. Anything else on this issue, Dan, that you want to bring up specifically? Not really. I I just kind of, I'm like with you, it's like not enough Peter and Spider-Man driving the plot forward and a lot of exposition. I mean, maybe it's the kind of thing where, you know, we're getting a new comic every two weeks. So in the long term, we won't really like care about how exposition heavy this was, but it doesn't really have me excited for this story at least compared to all the other stuff he set up. That's the thing. He set up so many stories I'm actually interested in. It seems like a weird pivot to go to one that I'm not that interested in. Yeah, I mean, where's Craven or where's more shush that isn't ambiguous? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> or even like Kingpin stuff or maybe yeah. there's more Fallout with Boomerang. Yeah, Mysterio. There's yeah. so much set up. I don't know why we're we're going down this route other than knowing that Nick Spencer loves Black Cat. So I'm hoping he has something interesting in store, but this did not do much for me, for sure. You got a grade? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a C-. minus. Um, I'm a notch right below you. I'm going to give it a D+. Plus. All right, Dan. Well, you know, we should thank our, our patrons on Patreon one more time because uh, without them, we would have never gotten that awesome review. Uh, but fear not, listeners at home, there there is more where that came from. So uh, without further ado, why don't we continue on with this arc and talk about Amazing Spider-Man number nine. Take it away. Well, it's been three weeks since the last one, which is a bit unusual for uh, this title. And I got to admit that the cliffhanger on the last one did not have me that jazzed to read a new <laughs> Spider-Man comic. So the three weeks felt like longer than usual. Norm- normally I'm like, I can't wait for the time to pass so I can read that new Spider-Man. And I was like, okay, this new Spider-Man out. I guess I'm going to read it. So today we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man number nine. That's legacy number 810. We're already nine issues deep into this new run, Mark. Let's get right to it and follow up on this Black Cat Thieves Guild thing. What did you think about this issue? Yeah, I mean, 
I think it was uh, a bit of an improvement over the last issue. I mean, I was really disappointed. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, as a kind of an over overarching thought, I really don't really don't care about this 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 plot at all. <laughs> um, I, I the, the thieves guild is just not an interesting thing. Um, I kind of feel like the way Black Cat's being brought here, brought back into the fray here, it's it's they still kind of seem to be spinning their wheels about what they want to do with Black Cat, and, and I'm kind of you know not really being sold on on anything here yet. Um, but I guess in terms of just the, the overall structure uh, and and flow of the book, it, 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 it at least it seems more cohesive here. I mean, it's 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 it's. A well-constructed story, if if not necessarily a great story, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. One of the things I think maybe we took for granted during the Dan Slott era, and I don't know if we truly took it for granted, is that like he really had a lot of big, bold ideas. Like There was no character that was really resting on its laurels. And so much of this book, I'm asking myself, it's a return to basics, but... I don't know what the real kind of like big story push is here. Like they don't feel like stories that someone has been dying to tell. Like I don't know why Spider-Man needs to be in this title or like why we're focusing on the Thieves Guild. I haven't been given a really big reason to care about it. And the same goes with Black Cat. It's like it's really great to see your characterization like the way that I recognize it as. But I don't really feel like they're really doing much new with her, you know. The Dan Slott stuff I found really problematic because it just wasn't handled well. But at least it was doing something new with the character. That we give this we get this kind of like recap of Black Cat's story. It's very bare bones, but you kind of in the recap realize nobody's really done a lot really different with this character for such a long time and, and here is kind of more of the same. Yeah, I mean the character you know, the heyday of the Black Cat, frankly, was was the 80s, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, she had a couple of storylines in the 90s. And then, you know, when with Brand New Day, they tried bringing her back to some degree. But again, you know, even with the new dynamic with Peter's love life, it just didn't didn't really click. Like it was, you know, it was like they never wanted to treat her as anything more than kind of a, a hookup. And here, you know, OK, so we have Felicia attacking Spider-Man here. And it's like, oh, are we back to this again. And. And we, we, of course, we find out that, you know, this time around, you know, she's kind of just getting him back for, for well, what, as it turned out, his split personality hitting on her and looking for a booty call. And, and you know, like, at least it was kind of like, okay, well, that makes sense, I guess. But then, like, you know, the character even, like, makes a, calls out the line, oh, what, are you going to tell me that it was Doc Ock is you again? And he's like, well, no, actually, this time. And it's like, and it kind of, like, in, in both the moment that kind of made me chuckle, but then also kind of just realized like, yeah, like they just can't, they have not been able to move into new territory with these two characters because it's like, it, this is just what it's been stuck in over and over again. Like we're, we're repeating plot points, but with different, you know, instead of it being a supervillain pretending to be Spider-Man, now it's, you know, the split personality of spider You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I was just kind of like, this is kind of absurd that we're we're actually rewriting, uh, going over the same exact kind of character dynamic here again, but just under a different kind of out of left field absurd situation driving it. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, certainly Felicia's reaction isn't the same as it was in the Dan Slott stories, where she suddenly decides to go evil, 
And to me, that was just a bridge too far. But at the same time, like, I don't know that I necessarily buy the characterization that she would attack Peter for coming to her for a booty call. I mean, that's been their relationship for almost the entire existence of the character. So it's like, do like, is that even in character? Like, I get that she might be upset, but even she seems a bit disbelieving of like, well, you know, I attacked you because I guess the previous comic needed a spicy ending to the book. Right. The end. (laughs) (laughs) So, so speaking of kind of like, Poorly explained motivation. So then we have, you know, as the Thieves Guild is is taking all of the valuable superhero stuff around, you know, Spider-Man seems very desperate for validation from the Avengers because of it. And, and Dan, I got to be honest, I forgot about this this storyline that, you know, uh, Kingpin, the, you know, Wilson Fisk gives him the key to the city. And, you know, now nobody, like, trusts him. So, but, like, this just seems, like, really, like, like underdeveloped, right? I mean, like I, I just like like oh yeah, this thing, this storyline. I completely forgot about this storyline. Well, it doesn't help that that storyline was kind of completely undermined pages later because Fisk gives him the key to the city, and let's say, even though we've been given no um, examples of this, that you know, Spider-Man, you know, was was found himself suddenly in the public distrust, but then. At the end of that very issue, he saves the entire city when everybody else couldn't. So, like, are they really distrusting him all that much? I mean, enough that Tony Stark calls him up and is like, hey, help me find my armor. You know, like, the the, the story itself uh, casts that uh, motivation in, in a poor light. Yeah, it's just – it's exactly. I mean, it, it just seems like – we're, we're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks uh, on that front. We do get a return of a character that I think was a genuine surprise here. And, and I know this is a, a favorite of yours, Dan. I mean, you're, you're, I feel like you're one of this character's biggest defenders in, in the uh, Spider-Man Internet universe. I'm probably the only defender of this character in the Spider-Man Internet universe. I don't dislike this character, for the record, but I, I, I do like that you're a strong advocate for her. <laughs> I am a strong advocate for Carly Cooper. I, I definitely I think she's genuinely one of the best love interests for Spider-Man. And I don't mean like I think she's Spider-Man's true love. I mean she's a genuinely interesting love interest for the character that goes beyond being, let's say, like superficial, like, say, Bobby Morse, who got a great start but really no follow-through. I feel like with Carly, we really got a full-fledged thing here uh, with her character that, you know, gives her a life of her own in a way that most of these superficial love interests don't. And so... It, for me, I was happy to see her back because it means certainly more drama for Peter. But I do have some weird suspicions about the return of this character that we definitely need to get into. Is it going to be more about goblin tattoos or what? Well, I mean, let's start in the goblin element of this. You know, okay. if people <laughs> don't remember, back in Goblin Nation, the end of the Superior run, we had Carly turned into Monster was her name. You know, right. high, highly creative name. And she was this hideous-looking goblin character that fought Spider-Man a number of times and was eventually cured, except that she had these weird, like, goblin scales or whatever around her eyes that she complained, you know, openly to Peter and Mary Jane about, you know, before she put shades on and moved back down south to an unnamed location. You know, she needed to get out of New York because of the Spider-Man stuff. And suddenly we've got her reappearing here without that. 
So I don't know whether to, you know, trust this is like a lizard situation where it's like, okay, we're forgetting that status quo or whether she got like great plastic surgery and got rid of the, you know, or wear wears off after time. There's an easy way to kind of retcon it. Or perhaps is this not Carly Cooper? I think there are clues to say maybe that's the case as well. Uh, Mark, what did you think about the kind of goblin-y element of this? Like you said, unless unless indeed it's not Carly Cooper, I, I, I don't know if um, we're going to spend all that much time explaining why her physical appearance has changed. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm saying is if, if, if our, our suspicions are proven wrong and, you know, this is indeed face value, I'm going to guess that it's more aligned with a lizard situation of, oh, no, no, you know, just ignore, ignore that. <laughs> it's easier if we just continue on like this. But um, you, you picked up on, though, a pretty interesting piece of uh, geographic information related to her. Uh, that would lead us to be suspicious. So I, I'm going to let you t- say that because this is your discovery, Dan. Yeah. So she says, you know, um, I think it's Mary Jane who asked her, you know, if she like came back from Memphis and she corrects her and says, no, I came from New Orleans. And later on in the issue, we get this kind of like retelling by Black Cat about the various thieves guilds around America or I guess around the world. And she makes point to say that the Thieves Guild began in New Orleans, which if you've read Thieves Guild stuff, you've got like the Gambit stories and stuff, which are in New Orleans. And so to me, I can't imagine it's a mistake that Carly Cooper comes back and says she was living in New Orleans at the same time that this Thieves Guild from New Orleans comes back. Now, I have no idea what that means because Carly Cooper's always been a cop you know, she's always been on the side of the good. I can't imagine her suddenly becoming a member of the Thieves Guild, but it seems like too much of a coincidence to just, like, ignore. Why call it out if it's, you know, you know, if you're not going to fire that Chekhovian gun? It was nice to see Carly and MJ interacting, though. I mean, it, it's, you know, we've talked about this at length on this show, Dan. I mean, I, I feel like after bringing MJ back full time, uh, in the first issue of this book, I mean, it's just been a continual struggle in trying to really give her any kind of agency beyond I'm Peter's girlfriend again. And I don't know if that necessarily gets addressed here, but at least seeing her interact with other characters when Peter is not on screen. Now, granted, they are talking about Peter, so we're not exactly getting a full uh, Bechdel test being passed here. But like, it's still, I, I don't know. I guess I'm saying it's nice to see MJ with other characters and like kind of acknowledging the shared history there and that, you know, maybe, maybe this is the start of something a little more uh, substantial for, for MJ since her return, because we really haven't been getting much in that regard. And that's kind of how I feel about this plot with the lookups is like, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, but mostly I'm just grateful that MJ has something to do, even if it's like Peter adjacent which, I mean, makes sense. It's a book about Peter Parker in some regards, you know, or in all regards, rather. But, like, I'm not a terribly interested in the lookups storyline, but I'm happy that she has something to do, even if I don't entirely believe in the relationship 
at its very core, which is at the core of the lookup story. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the lookups in this whole sequence, I mean, like, I think it was a, a cute moment because, it, you know, we got some funny bits uh, specifically related to the, the anonymous characters yeah. that, were, that were not even remotely anonymous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I'm like reading all this and even, again, while I'm kind of chuckling at it, I'm also being like, yeah, but what... what it's just, it just seems like a completely random thing to be hitting upon. I mean, like, I know, like, hey, you know, it's comics. We got to, the only constant is change, but it seems odd to me that, you know, after, you know, 50 plus years of storytelling, that, you know, all of a sudden there's been like this kind of long, long, untold support group for friends of superheroes, <laughs> you know, friends and lovers of superheroes. Um, it just seems like, this is kind of a random time to be broaching it. I don't know, and 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 for MJ, for MJ of all people to be broaching it. I mean, like that's the thing. And and again, are we we just brought her back. She knew what she was getting back into, and like we're we're kind of like gonna. Are we really gonna be dwelling and wallowing on MJ's insecurities about being with Peter? This, I don't know. I kind of thought that one of the one of the enlightenments of this new relationship was we were kind of past that and clearly we're not, you know? Yeah, it does seem really odd. And then I kind of like have to question like the look up, lookups in general. Like the three three of the characters that we, we see or don't really see but we can infer are there. Let's say like just, just off the top of my head, Wong, Pepper Potts, and Willie Lumpkin. Like why do their identities have to be obscured? Are, aren't Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four publicly known figures. Like, I, I don't really understand the logic behind that. I don't have an answer for you. I mean, I got, <laughs> out, outside of the visual gag. I mean, it was a good gag, I guess, is what it was. You know, seeing, I mean, not that he's one of the characters you were describing in terms of needing to be obscured or not needing to be obscured, but like, fog, you know, seeing Foggy's bow tie, you know, or, or you know, or what's obviously Ganky Lee. You know, it's a good gag, but other than it being a gag, is it is, is it necessary? And you know, does it advance beyond just a, a one page joke? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, one of the things we did get an answer to about the thieves guild is this whole idea of like the fountain and the magic of the fountain. And I thought, like, you know, I always love it when they have Humberto Ramos do those flashback scenes because they just like leave his sketchy pencils alone, and I think it's quite nice. I thought it was really nice to see the scene with Walter Hardy, you know, in that flashback with with his daughter in 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 the park, which kind of seems like they're a bit entrapped by this pers- persona they've been putting on. You know, it's a it's a huge retcon. Like you'd think that in all of his romantic affairs with the black cat, you would see the tattoo on on her wrist. Although maybe it's like one of those reactivated tattoos of, of some kind. But I, I I like this and kind of the kind of retcon repositioning of Black Cat as a bit of a broader universe. I thought that was interesting in some regard. You mentioned Ramos's pencils in the in the kind of flashback sequences. Any any other? Well, there was two artists on this book, right? It was Ramos, and then there was um, who else was doing some other sections, right? Um, yeah, the other artist is someone I'd never heard of before, uh, Michele. Or uh, Michael Bandini, you know, I, I, I think he's a, a, a international artist in the same way that Ramos is, and um, I liked the kind of split up of art in this book. You've got your kind of really bombastic stuff, and your more like low key 
you know, down to earth kind of art, and I, I I dug that. Yeah, it was it was it was good. I mean, you know, I, I it was certainly good good quality. I mean, like it does make me wonder if this is why we ended up having a, a week delay on this book. <laughs> um, maybe maybe you know Ramos couldn't couldn't get it all done. I don't know. Um, although he usually works pretty fast, doesn't he, Ramos? Or yeah, I think he's notorious for being a, a bit of a quicker artist. I think you know even Champions came out pretty frequently, if I'm not. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, either way, I mean, no, it was it, was, it just kind of threw me initially because I was like, you know, I mean, Ramos is so distinct and Bandini was, is a little more, um, I don't want to say common, but you know what I mean? Like it, 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 it wasn't, wasn't totally a lot that defined him from other artists that I feel kind of guessed on the book from time to time versus someone like Ramos who's just so, um, you know, has such a style and a flair to it. But you know, but you know, like you said, it, it was kind of good to kind of get the contrast within the book. You know, it certainly that's you know you'd rather have it than have someone trying to like ape Ramos's style and and do a bad job of it. <laughs> yeah, or just like split the book down the middle with no explanation for why. Well, you got anything else you want to talk about on this book? Or <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a part three, I guess. <laughs> yeah, not really. I mean, they they find the you know I guess like the weapons cache and. I just don't really care because like, there's no universe where the Thieves Guild actually makes an impact and Nova doesn't get his helmet back and Ghost Rider doesn't get his car back. So I guess we'll see what the fallout with Black Cat is. Maybe this is the impetus for change for her, but I can't really claim to be all that excited about the ending of this book where they're cornered. You know, it just seems like a st- another story on the way back to another story. Right. So you want to give it a grade? Yeah, I'm giving this one a C. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm giving it a C. Like I said, better better than last time, but you know, still still hoping for that. Still just hoping for that, like that next level of consistency. I mean, the boomerang story was kind of a step in that direction, Dan, and now I feel like we're kind of falling back again. So um, it's been kind of up and down ride. I mean, it's not. It hasn't been anything truly bad yet, but um, it's definitely been up and down. I think since since. The new the new regime has taken over. <laughs> I think I'm looking for some payoff with Shush. Like I just need that character to make an impact to kind of sustain me with like a a, a stronger grasp on what the big idea here is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And 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 not for nothing. I know that it's not carrying over into the main book, but I do wonder if we're getting some wheels being spun here until spider Geddon kind of cleans itself up. You know what I mean? Like, do they not want to like introduce anything too dramatic in this status quo while they're trying to finish that out and all the other spider books? Just a thought. I won't claim to understand how the spider office works in the least. So no, no, it's just, like I said, I'm just, I'm just pumping theories out there. So, well, Mark, we haven't loved the past two issues. You know, we've liked them just fine. But uh, I think things are looking up in this final chapter. So, you know, I'm teasing it too much already. Let's get right into it. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 10. What's new? Why don't we talk a little bit about Amazing Spider-Man number 10, a.k.a. Amazing Spider-Man Legacy number 811, right? Did I get the numbering right? I can't keep up, Dan. 
you got it. You got it. That one-off thing, your brain just goes completely flipped. Yes, yes. This is the third and final chapter of this uh, Thieves' Guild arc involving uh, Black Hat. It also, I believe it's going to be the last Nick Spencer, Umberto Ramos issue for a while. Looks like we're going to be getting back to the Spencer-Ryan Otley combo that we got when this book first started a few months ago. So, you know, Dan, we have not been the hugest fans of this arc, uh, to say the least. But did this third issue, which I almost feel like kind of treated the main story of the arc, kind of dismissed it in a lot of ways and just focused on other things. How, how did it all resolve for you, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, it's just like, I think, the, the Ryan Otley arc that we got, where it's like the final issue kind of pulls it all together and manages to kind of like land things. But I don't know if it quite justifies how much time we spent on this prior to this story. Like, the Thieves Guild, to me, is a throwaway. You know, maybe it'll come back down the line. But right now, it felt like kind of a lot of wasted time. Uh, this issue is very much interested in Mary Jane and... You know, like the leftovers, or, or what are they called? The lookups? Not the leftovers, the lookups. And that's really the emotional crux of this issue. Although we get a really nice scene at the end of the issue between Spider Man and Felicia, but all of the Thieves Guild stuff is kind of hidden under this monologuing from Mary Jane about her relationship with Peter Parker. And I found all of this stuff very successful. Even if ultimately, like, the Thieves' Guild stuff ends up being a throwaway, which makes me kind of question the last two issues. Like, could we have done this in two issues instead of three? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, let's – I'm going to take it a step further and be a step meaner than you, Dan. I mean, the, the, the Thieves' Guild here was just completely irrelevant, and, and I just feel like this entire journey was kind of – for lack of a better phrase, a waste of time. I mean, it, 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 it was successful in the fact that it brought a resolution uh, to the Spider-Man Black Cat arc that, I mean, has been a long time coming. Where this issue was most successful, I think, on a broader level was, you know, after months and months and months of us kind of pining for any sense of character development and insight into what Mary Jane was thinking and getting back together with Peter, I do feel like this starts to address that and starts to build and actually gives us a reason to actually care about the fact that Mary Jane is actually back in our lives right now, right? Right. And the impetus that we learn here is that Flash Thompson's death, you know, a a big kind of mourning moment, an impactful moment in her life, spurred her to kind of rethink her relationships with people and and what was valuable to her. And I would totally buy – I totally buy that. Like, you know, in the extent that it's presented. I mean, would it have been nice to see signs of that kind of, you know, inching their way into the corners of the book? This seems kind of like a, hey, I've heard the critics or like I've read what's been put out and I feel like there needs to be more here. Um, Like, I think the lookups was a great opportunity to allow Mary Jane to open herself up in a way that she might not have in front of Peter Parker. But I, 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 so I appreciate it here. I wish it was earlier, but I'll take it, you know, like I'm going to take it. We got it. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my biggest issues with the whole lookups concept from the last issue was kind of like, you know, after all these years, you know, what was the point of kind of introducing this little like, you know, back channel group of, of, you know, support group, you know, outside of maybe getting some punchlines. And we get some more punchlines in this issue that are kind of cute and ha ha ha. But clearly this whole storyline was designed to give Mary Jane an ability to, to have an outlet somewhere. 
where you know yes for storyline purposes that outlet outlet is the support group but really the broader purpose is to you know give us the audience some insight finally and i guess there truly was no other organic way with peter on page to make this happen i mean maybe there was but again like getting getting that information and and and, and it, i do feel it was very well done I, like it, it does feel justified it does feel kind of earned uh, to a degree, I, 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 I liked the sweetness of it. I liked the insecurity of MJ here uh, in some of this. So uh, it works. So like having that alone makes this issue um, successful in that regard to me. I mean, you know, again, did we need a kind of a jokey support group to make that happen with, you know, fuzz, you know, blitzed out faces of Wong and and uh, Ganky and everyone else? I don't know. Uh, and did we need this thieves go plot to, to, to in any way? Probably not. But um, you know, like you said, there's some good things that happen here that make it tie all together. And you know, I guess we can kind of critique the structure about the longer game as we go. Yes, I totally agree with you. And um, I think the thing that made it worthwhile to me is something you've mentioned, which is MJ's insecurity, because I do think that a lot of the stuff addressed here regarding like Flash Thompson's death. Could have been something that we got in that previous issue where, you know, her and Peter went on that walk that we that we talked about before. Right. Like that would have been a great time to bring up this and, and maybe their their shared mutual grief over Flash Thompson's death. But the thing that made this interesting to me is that in opening up, she expresses, you know, like I used to work for Iron Man and I also like, you know, ran this kind of like nightclub, you know. Like one of those is very much in the realm of superheroes, much like I'll be operating now, and I wonder if it's the place for me. And I liked that, like, kind of bringing Jarvis, this kind of very rather random character, you know, into this book allowed her an opportunity to feel confident that she can operate in the realm of superheroes and and have value. And to me. That made the lookups thing kind of worth it, you know, because that's not a conversation I think she could have with Peter. Right. Um, so I enjoyed that element of it. And I also like that Jarvis kind of got a dig in at Betty Ross and Pepper Potts <laughs> by saying, like, you didn't need to be gamma irradiated or put on armor for a weekend. You know, you're just being Mary Jane and that's enough. Although we'll forget the whole bit where she got spider powers during Spider Island. Uh, well, because it's not really sustained. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, I like that. One of the things I was curious about during the MJ, uh, monologue that she delivers is she's talking about why she loved Peter. And she says, you know, he's so driven not to get rich or be famous or even change the world. Um, and there's kind of this whole bit later on where Peter admits that Black Cat's whole gangster thing was a bit off character for her. I don't know that I would go so far to say that like MJ and, and Peter's dialogue here is a refutation of Dan Slott's run, but there are a bunch of things throughout Nick Spencer's run that do seem to be him like, I don't know if it's like having fun, you know, taking jabs at Dan Slott's run, but like the, 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 the kind of people are interpreting this as like Nick Spencer correcting the ills of, of Slott's run, whether it's like having him reveal you know, his identity to Felicia. It seems like he's going down a checklist of like things people have wanted to see for years. How do you feel about all that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I I, I don't think it's as pointed or, you know, malicious even if that's a phrase that some people are kind of tying to it as as, as 
um, it might appear. But I, I, I definitely do think there's just a sense of, you know, Spencer as a writer, um, I think he's approaching this book right now with, with, with an air of confidence. I mean, whether the confidence is fully justified in the, the longer term of what's being put together here, that's another argument. But it's very clear that there are things that he wants to execute on and in order for him to execute, he needs to have the, his ducks in a row in a certain way. And in order to have those ducks in a row, he's got, it's got to be different than what Dan Slott did. You know what I mean? It's just that simple. You know, like he can't have Mary Jane a certain way. He can't have Felicia a certain way if he's going to start executing on these bigger stories that he's working on. So he's just going about and, 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 you know, as is done in comic books, like, you know, just kind of flipping switches and snapping fingers and, and undoing it. And and I, I don't think it's meant to be a dig or pointed or anything like that. But I think it's just Spencer being like, I can't tell my story with this status quo existing. I need to change it. So let's change it because I can, you know, and, and clearly he's not getting pushback anymore. And that's that's fine, because frankly, Think of all the pushback that Dan Slott did for 10 years on the book. You know, was he digging Roger Stern or Tom DeFalco or JMS? Or, well, probably it's JMS. Everyone was digging JMS after a while. Uh, but I, 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 you know, it's just this is just kind of something that a, a confident creator should just be able to do without it being being read too deeply, I think, in terms of what he thinks of the prior creator. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And I, and I think, um, you know, it's just like it's just one of those things where it's like what he wants to do with the book just so happens to correlate with, you know, things that probably should have been done to the book for a long time, as anyone who's a Spider-Man fan can kind of recognize, you know, and, and it's also that natural returning it to the average status quo um, that, you know, people recognize from Spider-Man so that he can then take it in a different direction. I think the thing for me that's shocking is just how much editorial seems to not be pushing back at him on this. You know, it seems as though after what we've been kind of told for like 10 years is like, these are the things we don't do. You know, Nick Spencer seems to have free run to do whatever he wants with the character. Right. In that he's returning it to the status quo. Right, right, right. But yeah, I I just I just yeah I mean I think the editorial element shouldn't be discounted. Um, but again, I like I know that some of the editorial changes that we've now experienced had kind of gone into motion before Dan Slott left the book. But um, I also don't think it's any coincidence that you know within a year or so of a lot of these changes, Dan Slott left the book after basically for years saying from my cold dead hands. So. I, I, you know, I, I, I just think this is just indicative that it's just a new game in town, and they're just gonna things are just gonna be done differently. And and I don't know if it's you know taking a pot shot at what came before. I think it's just you know we're moving forward, and to move forward, we gotta. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too naively about this that that these people don't really think in terms of being upset or unhappy with what previous creators kind of handed them. I, I just feel like, how do we, how do we move this story forward in a certain way, in a way that allows me to do that? And, you know, to do that, I have to cut these, you know, check these boxes, I guess. I don't know. It's a good thought. Let's move on to the next big thing. Cause we can't really come up with a declarative answer in that regard, in that we're not part of the spider office in, in any way, shape or form. You know, we wrap up this Thieves Guild thing with this great Miss Marvel joke um, regarding her phone. I love the bit where it kind of 
subvert Iron Man and uh, and Doctor uh, Strange. Mr. Well, Mister Fantastic, I believe. Oh, right, right, right. Well, Doctor Strange too, right? Wasn't he trying to do magic? And he was like, ah, find my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So this girl gets wrapped up, and I guess the thieves guild gets some kind of like you know, prominent back on the scene. Like people are afraid of them again. But then we get this moment where Felicia like admits to Peter, like our relationship is not the same because I can't remember who you are. And it's a real kind of like wall between us. And then inevitably we get the visual callback to, you know, the, the civil war era of Spider-Man revealing his identity, He pulls his mask off. And my name is Pete. You know, and suddenly, I don't know if all of her memories come back or how that all works in this kind of like, you know, post uh, one more day era, but she begins to cry, which I th- I thought was really nice. Um, what did you think about this moment? Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I mean, it was a really wonderful, authentic moment between two characters that, you know, it's funny, like uh, Peter and Felicia or Spider-Man and Black Cat, I mean... We're really just talking about a limited run of comics where they were a significant pairing, you know, and and for the better part of our life, Stan, they really haven't been much together. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, but, you know, at the same token, I do think there was something to that pairing, whether you ultimately were a fan of it or not, that was kind of different, you know, and, and special in its own way at least in the context of Spider-Man. And so so it makes me, allows me to understand why fans were just so kind of ticked off by how the characters were were being used against each other uh, over the last few years. I mean, beyond the fact that I also just feel like what was going on with Felicia was just so out of character. You know, there was just no precedent for it whatsoever to have her turn so hard and be so illogical and irresponsible about things um so like to kind of reverse all that and 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 do in a way where uh, you know really felt elegant and kind of meaningful and and you know going further below the surface than we typically have gotten with these characters in years uh it it just it, it meant you know this is probably one of the better moments these two characters have ever had in comics uh, which says a lot. Um, it also says that they really haven't had that many moments in comics. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, you know, like you know, I mean, I've seen some people kind of praise this scene to I think a little too much. Like making it again. We're not talking. This isn't Peter and MJ. This isn't Peter and Gwen. You know, like it's not. I don't think it's that deep. I just don't. Um, but you know, in terms of these two characters, this was a very great, wonderful moment. I agree, and I think a lot of it is kind of reinforced by the scene that follows it. You know, you've got this kind of moment where Peter approaches MJ in the bedroom, which, God, I I really, for all the praise I have about the MJ stuff, can they just have a scene where they're not in the bedroom together? Like, (laughs) I just, I don't know. I, I, I just am so desiring her not to be a Silver Age girlfriend that, like, I'll take a bunch of steps forward in every one we go back. Not that the bedroom isn't a place where you can have a conversation. Um, it's just, I want to so divorce Mary Jane from that kind of idea of that character. Um, but anyway, they have this great conversation where, you know, Peter admits to MJ, I think to me, at least the bigger 
reveal in this. Like, I got a lot of emotion out of the Felicia stuff, but I got more emotion out that Peter felt, like, comfortable enough to tell MJ, like, hey, I told Felicia something because she was in pain, and this, I knew this would heal her in some way. And MJ accepts it and isn't worried about him at all, and, you know, because she knows herself that she is indispensable to Spider-Man. And I found that just so touching, you know, uh, it, just to get personal a little bit here, like in my life, you know, I, you know, you can have multiple significant others and I have a lot of friends who are female, you know, and, you know, there's always that kind of like raised eyebrow in some regard, like, you know, uh, you know, if you're hanging out with another woman or something, it, even if it's pl- completely platonic, you know, um, to me, it was nice to see like that their relationship had evolved past any jealousy that there, she just has accepted her role. Like I am important. I am indispensable and I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. And I thought that was a really nice moment. Absolutely. Um, do we want to talk about what that moment brought forth, uh, in terms of our wild and reckless speculation about characters? Yes, yeah, so we're talking about Shush, the our, <laughs> our self-appointed character named Shush. Now, I don't know, Mark. I mean, this one kind of threw me for the biggest loop of any of the kind of clues that we've been getting. Um, I mean, it's all been very cryptic. And really, like, I can't wait for this character to actually interact with the story in bigger ways. I mean, maybe he is and we don't know about it, you know? One of my biggest complaints about this series under Nick Spencer's pen so far is that all the villains seem to be kind of pushovers or, like, kind of jokes. You know, like, they're, they're all kind of wrapped up immediately, whether it's Mysterio or, uh, like, Boomerang didn't really have a villain in those issues. Or, like, the Robot Master or the Tri-Sentinels. None of them are really, like, real villains. You know, like, the, even the, the Thieves Guild gets wrapped up in a joke, you know? So, like, that there's this real villain seemingly out there, like, just hanging around ready to do something. It makes me, like, a little over-eager to, to get to him because I want to have a real fight between Spider-Man and a villain. Uh, do you feel that at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're 11 issues in. Let's, like, let's, what are we put, waiting to pull some kind of trigger for? I mean, you know, like, I 100% agree. So, okay, so either way, we've got this scene where Shush seems to have this mirror that he's, like, looking at Spider-Man and Felicia in, and he punches it, shattering it, because Spider-Man told his secret identity to her. And there seems to be, like, a level of jealousy here before Shush says, like, we, like when I'm done, only, like, you and I will be the last two to know that kind of secret, right? Right. Well, and he even and he even like makes comment like, "Oh, you've brought her into this hell now too." You know what I mean? Like so, right? Which implies that there's something tied to the secret identity about this character, and we've talked about that before, right? Why does this character know Pete really well? Um, so on and so forth. So, like to me, the complication of this is like we have been talking about it being like a demon, and there's a lot of references to like hell and demons and like. We, it seemed to have been triggered by, you know, the appearance of this character seemed to be triggered by MJ and Peter getting back together. So, like, I had come up with that grand speculation about it being, you know, some kind of manifestation of the deal with Mephisto or the spider marriage. But the thing that's complicated to me about this is the identity stuff isn't linked to Mephisto, right? Yes, because, I mean, you do have this moment in... 
one more day where you know as Mephisto is concocting the spell I I, I, I mean I, am I misremembering Dan I do feel like there's a moment where Pete's Spider-Man is just like yeah and what about the whole identity thing and Mephisto's just kind of like yeah sure we'll get rid of that too you know what I mean but then like it gets further evolved in one moment in time that this was actually something put forward by Doctor Strange right that's kind of how it was kind of further reckoned is that my am I do I have this right that is absolutely correct. And and, and and Spider-Man makes reference to that in this very issue, right? He says to Felicia, we did something that would cause people to forget who I was. So he – because he doesn't really remember uh, One More Day, right? Like Spider-Man doesn't remember One More Day. He is acting as though like he and Mary Jane dated and then stood each other up at the altar. Like he doesn't remember the deal that he made, you know? He just – you know, it's operating on like one moment in time continuity. So, like, I don't know if perhaps I, maybe I'm forgetting the red bird that Mephisto used to kind of like knock that brick that triggered the whole one moment in time scenario where they never got married. To me, that had nothing to do and was completely independent from Peter's whole thing. Like, nobody should remember who I am. And it seems like. If this character's a demon, it shouldn't have anything to do with the secret identities. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, just talking about this is making me go a little cross-eyed. I mean, I'm still hanging on the idea that we've kind of talked about at length so far about this character, that it's some kind of physical, demonic manifestation of a Peter that, you know, that went, went back against the deal with Mephisto, you know what I mean? That betrayed the deal. I firmly believe after this issue that when we're looking at Shush, we're looking at some kind of iteration of Peter. It's very interesting. I, yeah. Like, I, I, I just feel like this is, this is not that it's a future Peter or a time multiverse Peter, but I, I feel like this is, this is a version of Peter who can speak to what happens when you betray the devil, you know? It's, it's centipede man. Right. Sure. So, which is why I think he is just so angry and bitter. I mean, and I think, it, like, you know, it's what's going to, what could be ultimately interesting about this character is it does show the inherently darker elements to Peter Parker that I don't think are outside the realm of the character. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, like, I, it just seemed more apparent than ever in this issue to me that this, this, this character is some kind of manifestation of the of the deal of the bargain but it's it the it's being manifested in in Peter in some way this is not i don't think this is like a separate demon i don't think this is like i don't think it's mephisto i don't think it's a sidekick of mephisto this is peter to me it's just a very it's a demonic weird twisted version of it you know one of the things that i went back when i read this i wanted to reread the final issue of one moment in time and so I went back and I looked at the kind of panel where Mary Jane makes like the, her own deal with Mephisto and it was finally revealed what she had said to him. And so this is what she said to him, uh, if, you'll, if you'll excuse me here for a moment. Yeah. She says, I know Peter. He will never make this deal with you. Never, ever, unless I ask him to. But if I do, this is the end of it. You will leave him alone for the rest of his days. And Mephisto's response, I think, is really telling about maybe who this character is. He says, Agreed. 
as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. How, how are you? How are you taking that? Um, I'm taking it as like, look, Mephisto is not going to get involved, but like you break a deal. I'm not going to stop what that triggers. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I think that this thing that we're seeing is gaining strength by all the times that Peter goes to breaking the deal and makes changes in his life that are attributed, like that wouldn't happen if he wasn't breaking this deal. Right. Um, Like, I don't feel like Peter would have the confidence to reveal his identity to Felicia or be the character that he is without kind of undoing the deal um, and kind of flaunting it now. And I think that's where the anger comes in. It's like, you know, he's dragging everyone into this because he's they're becoming part of the end of this deal. And so I don't think it's Mephisto, which seems kind of clear by the design, like it's a new character. And it could be very well, like you said, be like a Peter Parker underneath that that's completely damaged and, and bandaged up in some way. Um, and I think back when the, fir- the first appearance of the character, I had taken some screenshots and posted it on Twitter. And in the first image, he's making the web shooter like hand gesture on the page. It's very subtle. Um, but I think that might have been maybe like Humberto Ramos's like tip off. Mm. I don't know. It could just be like a, you know, something I'm finding. But like you could be more right than you even realize. Yeah, I agree. I'm, 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 I, you know, our, our, your wacky thoughts, Dan, are bearing fruit. I'm sticking with my original theory. Like, I feel very strongly about it. Yeah. That, like, the comic keeps backing me up in, in my initial guess. There you go. You want to do some grades? Yeah, sure. I'm giving this one a B plus. Uh, I'm right there with you. B plus. This is such a step up. <laughs> All right, Dan. Like you said, I think I think that that arc certainly ended on a on a better note than maybe the first two issues we reviewed sounded of uh, sounded like it was going. So uh, that's good. Happy happy endings, right? We all love happy endings. <laughs> Mark, I, I'm going to use that soundbite for the rest of eternity. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Uh, what's coming down the pike in the future for us, Dan? Yeah, as we've been teasing for a while, next week we're going to finally get to it, our second episode of Season 3. Now we're teasing episode by episode here, Mark. Can we ever get through this season? Yes, we're going to continue with Season 3 as we sit down with Jerry Conway to talk about the start of the Bronze Age. I mean, I think our our... Our seasons are being paced out the way like uh, Nick Spencer is pacing out Amazing Spider-Man right now, right? Every two weeks. Yeah, we're here every two weeks. (laughs) Every two weeks. Slow burning. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we've already gotten the special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 14 and a roundup review of all of January's B-Title books. Why wait to get caught up in a few months? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-Book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commission artwork this time around from Barry Kitson. And on that note, with the Patreon funds, Mark and I are looking to expand a number of elements about the show. Firstly, we'd like to get the show on Spotify and kind of do some TLC to our website and ways for you to kind of be a part of our show. 
meaning like things like video features in the future and other things that Mark and I have been planning. But one of the big things we have to do is kind of reshape the website and how all the systems work on it, which is a lot of work that I've been kind of doing behind the scenes for a while. But I'd like to bring in someone to help me. So, you know, I'm looking to pay someone to help out with the website and and be a part of our team for a short bit. So if you or someone you know works in web development or design, I'd love for you to reach out to me at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com about uh, an opportunity, and we can talk and see whether you're the right person to help me out with this. Uh, it's a great way to kind of help our community grow, and I'm definitely going to be paying whoever wants to be a part of our team. Uh, it's something I've been looking for for a while and just haven't found anybody I've been happy with, so I thought, why not open it up to the people that listen at home to see if maybe they want to kind of like uh, help be a part of what Mark and I are doing. That's awesome, Dan. I, I, I hope we get some good applicants. <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool. So again, amazingspidertalk at gmail.com if you want to join. And speaking of our team, let's talk about the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. They've been doing some awesome kind of uh, wrap-ups. They just did one on one of the final episodes of Spider-Man, the animated series that I am eager to listen to myself. So that's the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast discussing the hidden corners of Spider-Man. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. Just check this episode's description for a link to our Spider-Man talking community. We've been talking a lot about Spider-Verse on there and collections and things like that. And actually, we just had a big thing on Conan and the rebirth of Conan on there. So even if you're, you're looking just for a place to talk Marvel, that's the place to be. Awesome, Dan. So, Dan, uh, besides those awesome venues, where can we find you on the, the social media and the internet? Yeah, I'm always over at, at Sup Spider Talk, where you can just reach out to me, shoot me a message. I'm always talking about Spider-Man on there and my adventures in the real world. This week, I got to go to a Stan Lee memorial in uh, Hollywood, and I got to talk to all kinds of people like Kevin Smith and Mark Hamill, and even some Spider-Man people like Steve Wacker and Joe Casada. It's a lot of fun. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can kind of get some insights into all of that. Dan, I think I just pulled my back picking up all those names you just dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's increasingly my life. Mark, how about you? Where can we find you on the internet? Well, my life is much less boring, but you could still follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. And uh, for more boring stuff from my life, you can read my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, you're an expert salesman, Mark. <laughs> Sell that boring <laughs> I, I, book. I know what I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, one thing you do know is the motto for our show. What is it? Why don't you take us out? Of course, that great motto is, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs>